with the wellfish blow Way down in Florida Then girls will dance to the rolling gold And we'll roll the wood pile down A young man in my prime Way down in Florida I was 14 pretty girls too At the time on the road The wood fell down Rolling, rolling, rolling The whole world round Let's find the other minds On the Georgia line And we'll roll the wood fell down But now I'm old and getting grey Way down in Florida I can only manage Wages never high. Rolling, rolling, rolling the whole world round. Let's find the other mines on the Georgia line. Now we'll roll the wood pile down. Rolling, rolling, rolling the whole world round. Let's find the other mines on the Georgia line. Now we'll roll the wood pile down. Let's find the other mines on the Georgia line. And we'll You're listening, Studs, and my guest this week is Liam Sharp. Uh, we're sitting in a hotel room at the lovely... It's a Sutton Place Hotel. Yeah, so it's lovely. I mean, it's just... It's idyllic. I'm, I'm totally loving Vancouver. It's just beautiful, beautiful. And the weather's amazing. It's cold, but it's bright sunshine. It's just, uh, I've not been to Canada or Vancouver before, so it's like, it's a real treat, actually. It's great. It was literally snowing a week ago. Right. Which is unusual for Vancouver. Normally, it's it's a rainy city, but we okay. had like a weird couple-week spurt of snow, but it's like relaxed and opened up for you to come in and... Is that why there's a giant sculpture of a raindrop by the waterfront? I don't know the sculpture, but that sounds. <laughs> it about appears right. to be just a giant drop of water. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. There's a lot of new art that, like, right. after the Olympics, that they like did all sorts of like uh-huh. specific things. Like, you'll see lots of different things with like orcas. Um, yes, I've seen them. Yeah. Do you yeah. see the Lego orca? I did. Yeah. Or yeah. the digital next orca. to the um, flame. Yeah. The the. Uh, Olympic flame yes. statue, um, pretty amazing. It's all just nothing but mountains around that. It's just stunning, and even I yeah, read a little bit of history about the island that they uh, were trying to save the trees on with the with the burial boxes in the trees <laughs> down by the down by the water. Oh, um, by Stanley Park. Uh, what do they call it? I don't know, Dead Man's Island or something. Yes, something yes, like yes, that. yes. Yeah. It was originally indigenous yeah, that's right. land, and then the military, I think, put a base there at one point. Yeah, and they tried to save all the trees, and by the time it went through, they'd already all gone. As is typical 
Yeah, it's uh, Vancouver is a home to a lot of great vegetation that's been very swiftly torn down. Uh, here in the rest of the world, I'm yeah. afraid. Yeah. Um, so thank you for taking the time. You're here for a comic show for the local fan expo, and um, it's nice for me to try and connect with folks mm-hmm. in person. It's always such a different thing when you're sitting in person than on Skype. I find right. Yeah, yeah. It's a little. Um, yeah, I find Skype weird. very strange. The sort of enforced staring into someone's <laughs> face. It's like, just like really odd. I did a job interview on Skype recently, and they kept turning off their cameras. So I'm like. Is anyone seeing me? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the best way. I think there's a... You want to do, like, sock puppet performance of... uh, (laughs) I think next time I do one of them, I'll just put a... (laughs) Appear as a a Kermit-style sock puppet for the entire uh, Skype interview. (laughs) Um, Now, one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you in particular is I've always been really intrigued and fascinated um, by your style and the particular work you did and still do um, and there's something that always kind of st- stuck out to me uh, with your stuff in particular I think also probably because when I first came across it uh, it was quite different to a lot of the other stuff like I think the first time I saw your work was in the Hulk Right. Back in the, was that 94, 95? It's got to be back there, yeah. <laughs> Showing my age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a couple of years ago. Right. And uh, it was it was a very big shift in that title, that time. So it was very clean and pretty and conversational art. And right. Your work was very dark and heavy and dark. <laughs> <laughs> and stylistically dark. And so I always, like, seeing your work always stuck out to me. And so... Uh, you come into town, was, I felt like that would be an interesting conversation to kind of talk about your work and talk about some of those influences right? and kind of see where that work is coming from. And Because uh, I'm really interested, like, for me, style is such an interesting thing, especially when you're looking in mainstream art, because mm-hmm. it's so easy for people to fall into doing um, kind of sedentary, I'm trying to think of the right term but like not, I know somebody not, used the term pedestrian but that's really cruel no <laughs> no I don't want to say pedestrian but I think no. like um you can coast by right with, with particular flares and stuff um and and I think it's interesting especially looking at, at, at your way your work is also developed um and kind of where especially some of the more recent stuff you've been doing like the Batman Wonder Woman thing right um like really, like you're 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 pushing something, and you're kind of you keep moving towards it, and I kind of see that progression, and also like that kind of interest in developing it into a certain direction. If that makes That's sense. That's interesting. I think when you talk about the Hulk, um, it's a really good example, actually, because Gary Frank's work was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's such a good actor. Um, it's one thing I've been talking about a little bit more online because. It's it's odd. We we do these jobs and and we take a lot of the nature of it for granted. You know, there's always this debate about who's the director and who's the you know whether the writer's the really the director or the artist. Uh, I would contend, having done both, that um, scripts and and it's really not taking anything away from uh, anybody because it is a different medium. So you shouldn't directly compare. But scripts are a lot like movie scripts and so you know if you read a screenplay it will have a direction 
yeah. in there about the camera pans here and there's a close up and there's a long shot and they're very it's very descriptive in the same way that a, a comic script is um, but the the uh, the guy who actually draws it still does the same performs the same task as, yeah. a, as a movie director would but he's also all the actors and or she's all the actors um, the artist is it has to be the performer has to be the lighting cameraman has to be you know this the, the choreographer the set designer there's a, a ridiculous amount of moving parts to pulling off um, drawing comic strips mm-hmm. um, sometimes I it's overwhelming and you have to break it down into small chunks it's it's hard to keep momentum and it does take a particular kind of madness I think <laughs> to do this this job and so you know when you when you break that down there's a, there's a few ways you're going to go with it uh, one is to 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 be aiming high and seeing it as um, your art and and where you want to go with that art and what you want to try and say with it Another way is to completely break it down into a, a set of rules and um, quite, you know, strong uh, rule, uh, rules really about how how you how you do it and you do it in a, from a technician point of view, yeah. um, a draftsman kind of a point of view. Um, some people do it very naturally. Other people have to have to make a kind of architectural uh, approach to it. I think I. I admire the, the the people that are very who are able to apply the rules to it, but by do, I do it by the seat of my pants. Yeah. I think um, I've had to learn sort of in the process because I'm always reaching. I I think as well when I was when I started out, I was illustrative. When I was a kid, um, I I could tell that it was a, a really hard job drawing comics, and I really wanted to draw expansive, epic, painted type stuff. So I think I saw myself more as an illustrator and concentrated on the drawing a lot more than on the storytelling. Um, and that was a, definitely a feature when I look back at my early stuff, the, 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 the storytelling's not that great. Um, some of the drawing's okay, but also the layouts aren't great as well, so the design was lacking, the storytelling was lacking. But because I, I, I put an, uh, had put a certain amount of effort and time into, into understanding light and form and shape and weight and mood and those kind of aspects it had a kind of it had a kind of gravity and a mass to it mm-hmm. so and I think that was appealing to some people but but also again you know it's just what I was interested in I loved um, um, Metal Urnon and Heavy Metal Magazine and all the European material a lot of the 70s underground stuff people like Richard Corbin blew my mind you know um, I wonder like Drew Lay oh Drew Lay absolutely absolutely I, I would have been, oh gosh, I'm trying to think when I was, first came across like Lone Sloan. I wasn't that old. I was maybe 11, 10, 11, something like that. Irrigale Erm. Um, <laughs> it's just the most mind blowing thing, you know. And I remember trying to penetrate it in a, with, with my mind when I was reading it, trying to figure out what the hell was going on. But the story of Erm um, with this sort of weird little head growing out of his shoulder and the. He's obviously the bright one, <laughs> but no control over the the brute that he's he's with, and then you know this crazy adventure that happens, and then this sort of tragic, like arbitrary Look, end end to it. You know? Was that like a switch being turned on in your head at that point? I was amazed by it. Amazed by it. Um, I had a I, 
I'd seen a book called uh, Masters of Comic Book Art, and it had a few of these guys in it. It had Drew Yeh, and it had Corbin, and it had... Is that the one that, I think, Wally Wood? Oh, Wood was in there. Yeah. It, it, a whole bunch of them, you know, and that, that, was a, that was an amazing book for me at a seminal age in that it... It, it started enlightening me to broader possibilities, and, mm-hmm. it, and it and it made the medium. Um, it elevated it, even though I knew that that I loved comics and I wanted to draw them. It it elevated the sense of what they could be much more, and it also made me realise that actually it wasn't just the stuff that I got off the shelf from Red, and there, there was these people were astonishing creators. They and and you could be, you could do something that had um, a legacy. Yeah. You could you could make a mark if you did it right. There's like a permanence to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and people are talking about them and naming them. And, and, and I think probably then that was the first time the, the which, which seems ridiculous now when I look back. Um, but, you know, the names were not the thing. It was the yeah. characters and the comic and the way it was drawn and all of those things. So I didn't really pay much attention to the the names of the artists when I was a kid, or the writers. Um, and then that book really sort of switched on the importance of that. And all, it, was, it all seemed to happen at once. I just, uh, Paper Tiger and Dragon's Dream, the Roger Dean imprints, mm. they were releasing these tabletop uh, coffee books with, with a lot of this work in reprints from Europe. And, and uh, the, the, the book, the studio with... Jeff Jones and Michael Galuta and Barry Smith and uh, you know Bernie Wrightson, just an astonishing, yeah. mind-blowing book. And all of these these guys suddenly became uh, elevated beyond everything to me. They just it transformed the medium. It transformed the way I looked at the medium. It transformed my view of my future and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say and and uh, how I wanted to reach. But at the same time, oddly. It was the end of the 70s and 80s. The medium was shifting completely, yeah. and that, that type of material was, was disappearing quickly. Um, so, I, I don't know, I was reaching for, for a place that... I was reaching to be something like that, but then I was also being inspired by what was current. Like so you were quite young at that point. Yeah, I, I started work when I was 18. I went straight, straight to comics, I didn't go to college. But I mean, even like seeing that work... Yeah, I would have. Been, I would have been. I, um, I, I was. Uh, I was one of those kids that. Um, I mean, I, I hate the term I, the gift, <laughs> "gifted child." They called it. It's a horrible thing because it puts uh, it puts uh, unnecessary pressure on. I was from a, a working class background, a town called Derby, um, industrial heartland of, yeah. of England. Um, you know, your aspirations were to go and work at Rolls Royce yeah. and build engines. Birmingham being the industrial capital right. of England, and, and and Derby, you know, the industrial re- revolution kind of kicked off in these areas. Derby had the first um, factory of the of the region of the country. Um, the the canals were there, the trains were there, every everything, and it's right in the centre. It's literally the geographical centre of of the country. So all everything sort of sprung out from there. Did were, did you feel like at some, one point in your life you were kind of predestined to be in a factory? That was like. It's not that I was. I don't think I ever did because my 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 dad could have been a, a really great artist. He's an ama- he's amazing with his hands. He builds like just in, you can turn his hand to anything. If you decide to do it, you'll just do it. So he's built like this astonishing Georgian 
doll's house with sash windows and uh, you know the, he even got that uh, 3DI stuff wallpaper and put a ghost in, in one of the rooms and it's just crazy <laughs> crazy uh, it, and it's an amazing thing it's all electrically wired little lights in every room there's coal scuttles there's a basement it all opens up and there's everything he can just do this stuff um, so there's a lot of encouragement for you well he wasn't encouraged himself he left school when he was 13 yeah and went into uh, engineering you know, um, that would make sense with for, what you're describing right exactly <laughs> um, and he wasn't he, there, there was actually or was a, a very well respected Joseph Wright School of Art uh, when he was young um, nearby and he had a chance to go there but was it wasn't encouraged he wasn't yeah. encouraged to go so he had always it was always the case with me that they would never um, st if I was going to be an artist and I showed signs like immediately um, then they were going to support that and they did to the point that when my when I was nine my uh, junior school my teacher Mr Rice and then the subsequent three teachers after that, two teachers after that, were all like, you've got to do something with this kid. Um, and they found out, they, they suggested this thing called the, the Gifted Children's Society, which was again, weirdly in the area, it wasn't too far away, from, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it wasn't too far, we didn't have to drive for hours, it was yeah. like, you know, it was in the area, and the guy who was running it had, had been a former headmaster of this school down in Eastbourne, in Meads in Eastbourne, and he said, look, they're building a new art school there, they're, 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 they're wanting to, they've had scholars of music and maths and sports and everything, but we've never had an art scholar, this could be a real opportunity. So I, I got the first art scholarship to essentially Hogwarts, you know, that's what it was like. Uh, this school down in Eastport. So I went to board at this school. We're very oh, wow. surrounded by, you know, the, the 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 rich and the great and the noble and the, you know, lords and ladies. The and, yeah. And, you know, Nigerian princes and Middle Eastern princes and, like, it was an astonishing, um, radical change. Yeah. You know? But my parents used to park their little car, <laughs> secondhand, beaten up, whatever it was at any given time, uh, like blocks away, because <laughs> they didn't want people to see uh, uh, that they didn't have any money. So it was interesting. I, I had friends that were going home to drink pink champagne on their tennis courts, and for a couple of years, my parents were struggling to the point that they were living in a caravan, so I was going home to a caravan. Wow. You know, on a, through winters as well, like in the Derbyshire hills, so we and and farmers turning blind eyes to us living on there, yeah, on this uh, on this farm. Um, crazy, crazy, really. Uh, but interesting in that it gives you this. I don't never destiny, never a sense of yeah. destiny. I think the opposite, in fact. It's very hard to shed your those kind of roots it sounds like there's like a work ethic kind of underlying this of like when you're dealing with 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 this like and i've talked to other folks who, who've dealt with some, some intense poverty right and it kind of puts something in you where it's like you got to work and you, there's no failing it's you've got to do this i think there's there's an element of work but there's also such a strong element of doubt 
yeah. that it can make the work problematic. I mean, I've, I've had points where I totally fell out of you know favour and just couldn't get work or whatever. And it was never because I, I was late or anything like that. But I think I have to take some responsibility in the fact that my art bounced around so much in terms of what it was reaching for and yeah. what it was trying to do. So I was probably a little bit unpredictable and it was hard for, for companies to know what they were this buying into. Yeah, I guess so. Well, all the way through the 90s. Yeah. Um, I was I was trying to change things up. All the, I was being inspired by so many different things, whether it was you know, Bill Sienkiewicz and then Ash Wood's kind of interpretation of that kind of work and and Dave McKean was doing astonishing things with Photoshop. I stopped playing with 3D modeling and building stuff and using that for lighting. And, and all of these things are interesting, but they are also a distraction and they can lead to quite radical style changes and directions in, in, in what you're doing, which uh, you know I, I think it's confusing for the readership and I think it's confusing for editorial. It's hard for them to sort of let you just keep playing around like that. And I don't. I don't think it was by design, and I don't think it was, you know, uh, they probably couldn't even put a finger on exactly yeah. what it was, um, but I, my reaching probably caused problems, you know, uh, for a while. I've had a, one, one thing some friends I've talked about before is, like, sometimes you have, like, your influences and you're feeding on them. And sometimes you need to like work through them, right? And something else comes out from the other end, and I, it sounds to me like because you said you're like you're 18 when you started working for Marvel UK, mm -hmm. and well, 2008, 2008 yeah. and then I think it was 20. Well, I, 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 you freelance, so yeah. you're doing <laughs> whoever will have. You know, I did. I was I was working for Marvel UK, but on things that nobody's seen or remembers, like. <laughs> I did like a count, I inked a count docula <laughs> with somebody, you know. Um, Galaxy Rangers and things like that. There's all sorts of things that we yeah. did that nobody has any notion of, you know. But I always think, like, retrospectively, like, I didn't figure out who I was until I was, like, in my 30s. Right. And as an artist, and, and starting so young, and being visual, and you're kind of working through a lot of stuff at once. And you really don't know who that artist is going to come through yeah. right away, and so it's tough. It's funny. It's like for the when I did Gears of War, I think that was the first time I really nailed pretty much the style I'm doing now. It's not that different. Um, the irony is that I didn't realize at the time of doing it that I'd done that. <laughs> so I I did that, and then I did Captain Stone is Missing, which was really my love letter to all the things that I loved in the eighties. So it's you know there's aspects of uh, Corbin, there's aspects of of uh, Bilsenkevich, there's aspects of uh, Simon Bisley, there's you know there's a lot of different influences in, in that stuff, um, but it's an awful long way away from the Gears of War thing, and it actually took one of the people I was working with at Madefire, who's who Kevin Buckley, who who works in the uh, he basically oversees the content um, editorially and everything. But he, he just said, he, he was looking at the Gears of War stuff, and he said, you know, f for me, that's you. That's my favorite stuff you do. And that really like looks like nobody else in that. Gen and I was like, huh. It's like a light bulb went on. So when I came back to to Wonder Woman, it's like, okay, I'm just not going to, I'm going to stop second-guessing myself. Yeah. 
I'm not going to try to be anybody else. I'm going to re relax into into just being me. Um, and it's one it's one piece of advice I keep giving to everybody now. And I wish somebody had kind of really banged this into my head when I was younger. It's like the most important thing is to concentrate on the craft of storytelling um, mm. and drawing. Those two things are really inseparable if you're drawing comics. Storytelling and drawing. Um, work really hard at the drawing, work really, really hard at the, the clarity of the storytelling. And don't worry about style. The style will find you. Yeah. That will just find you. And I think sometimes the, the, the things that we don't like about our own work are actually what makes it uniquely ours. You yeah. know? It's, it's curious, but it's... You know, we have to, again... You can't, you can't uh, aspire to be somebody else. You can only aspire to be the best you. If you judge yourself by other people, you will constantly fail. Yeah. You will always fail. I can't ever be Bill Sienkiewicz, much as I'd like to be. <laughs> you know. uh, Do you ever look at your past work and kind of see where you've kind of hit those notes that you're hitting today and kind of saying oh yeah this this was happening there <laughs> and kind of like there's that through line there is through the challenges right yeah no there is right right uh, some of my earliest 2000 AD work uh, PJ maybe it, the drawing is a little bit um yeah it's actually not bad in some places some of the some of the inking's inconsistent but it, it's reaching for I put a lot of thought into the storytelling, I put a lot of thought into the layouts, and I put a, a lot of thought into just drawing it as well as I could. And when uh, I had recently hit my town, my old town, and this is going back again to this early, what we were talking about earlier, uh, last year they put on an exhibition in the uh, Dolby Museum, which is a really well-respected museum. They, again, Joseph Wright is a very famous uh, artist, and he has paintings in uh, oh, just all over the world that they're very well thought of and he's got some in the Hermitage in, uh, in Russia and all sorts um, so he's one of Darby's mm -hmm. famous children and he, he has they have the biggest collection of his work in there and you know it's this thing that when I was a kid they had a I'm sorry I'm jumping around no, a bit, but it all sort of ties up the, 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 they had a, a, a big city-wide competition for young artists and I entered and they threw my stuff out and said my dad had done it and they would not have it that I had done it uh, and the same town that refused to accept that it was my work it sort of put on this exhibit and it was absolutely amazing and cathartic and it, it um, you know it was beautiful I had to be able to in my opening talk because I, I, I got to um got to do a big talk which was great uh, I didn't know what the hell I was going to say until the second I got up there it was only meant to be 10 minutes went on for 45 minutes it just <laughs> fell out of me. Um, and I realized that actually what it was uh, was uh, was my a big it was this was more for my parents and it was yeah. like this this is your um, vindication yeah. for your belief you know this is this is you made this happen yeah. by allowing me to be um, what I what I needed to be. Were you an only child? I wasn't. No, I have uh, I have a younger sister and a much younger brother. Oh, okay. Um, but um, 
Yeah, so the to the point yes. was Sorry. that in that no, it's me it's me waffling on. The point the point of it was that in that exhibit what was fascinating was seeing thirty years of a career in one large room, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much in order. Uh, not not precisely, but some of that early two thousand AD stuff, I could see the the through line for the first yeah. time ever. Um, and again, it, I could, if I had just stuck with that, <laughs> if I had just had a, the confidence, and it all comes down to confidence. Yeah. So often, so often, and with so many people as well, you know. It, um, is some of that like because you're saying like you're trying all these different things because you're just not sure that what your natural leanings, like the that self doubt of like what uh -huh. you're going to naturally do isn't good enough so you have to try and like jump ahead it's, it's the mistake of comparing myself with other people and not being able to see what was good in my own work yeah you no know, it, it took time it took time to to look back and see it um you know it's the curse of every creator I, i've sort of ever known most writers are the same most actors are the same it's like <laughs> you know they all think they're terrible yeah. They all wish they were somebody, somebody else who they perceive as better than them, you know? Always, always. But at the same time, they're still, like, confident enough in their own ability that they know there's, they're, they're reaching for something and it's there somewhere if they can just find it and that drives them to keep keep going, you know? Yeah. Because it is grueling and it's it's lonely and it's a, it's a solitary pursuit. It's not a, it's not a team sport. We're, I mean... Obviously, there's a team on every comic, but most of the time you are just uh, alone yeah. in your own head. Right? I'm sure you have different experiences where it is more team-based than others, where you're mm -hmm. you're working really in a vacuum versus we, collaborative. Like, I have a feeling Testament, I'm going to presume there's a lot of back and forth in developing that. Uh, Testament was a funny one. Um, I'm sort of proud of it, but I was frustrated by it because it was decided at some point that they would have someone as a layout artist on it, and I think it was just done uh, because that person had a con and had an exclusive and needed Baby to work, artists. so they put a put a layout person on. It. And I was like, hang on, it's just creator owned. I want to draw it myself, but I'm being given layouts. I had that happen um, to a friend who right. did a book for. Vertigo and she colors her own stuff uh -huh. and the regular colorist raises Rosa Stunk because she was going to color it and it's like okay right <laughs> sorry no it, it, it's um, it, it can be frustrating but, but honestly you also have to take it on the chin a bit they, they, they're uh, these, these people who've given you a job you know they're um, you will work for hire. Uh, you, yeah. you might be. There, there's a. It's rarefied air if you are lucky enough to get on a title. You know, it, it, in, I'm often kind of shocked by the, the vitriol and the bad mouthing and the dissatisfaction I see from from creators, because it, it's like, yes, yes, I can see your point, but at the same time. You know how many people out there are really good and want that job. <laughs> it's like, I mean, and okay, that doesn't mean 
that you can't ever be a little bit, you know, cheesed off from time to time. It's inevitable. Is there a job on the planet where we where where it's perfect, where every day you get it precisely your way? I, I don't believe there is. You know, and there are men, when there is a group of people, there are going to be different views. I mean, it's kind of when you're working within a system. I kind of get that. Like, mm-hmm. it is, you know an industrial comic yeah. system yeah. and you, you you're a creative person that's part of this assembly line yes yeah it's, it's but, a difficult give and take but you're more than that too yeah. you're part of a legacy and and it's not it's your job to do it as well as you can and to 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 be as you know respectful of that property as you can be um, I always get frustrated by a lot of the stuff you read online. This this notion that we're out to sabotage people's youthful dreams, you know, it's beyond me that kind of mentality. No creator I know is wanting to do that. Every creator I know wants to do something that's going to last forever and be valuable and you know create something that has meaning and is great. Yeah. Not not like just. They've you know they've worked their whole life to get on this one character so they can destroy it just because they've got <laughs> just because they're mean and hate their fans you know it's like it's of course that's not the case. Um, it, it I like to think of that situation as a very vocal minority you know, right. of, of particularly yeah. um, unsavoriness. Yeah, we were talking about it last night, and it's funny. It's like even on the books that I most loved. When it got to a, an art that I didn't like, it's like, man, this, this is not for me at this point, you know. I, I, that's fine. Yeah. Someone's going to like it. I, I've had a, I, I love these books. Actually, I'm going to re- reread all of these, but I really like what's happening over there. I'm going to check that out. And it gives you a, actually gives you permission almost to go and look at the rest of what's available, you know, and not be completely sort of tied to, to one thing. We are in absolutely no shortage of work to no. it. it's it's phenomenal and ridiculous like the the stacks of books I have at home and I'm sure you have a similar situation yeah. it's, just, it's not getting dented <laughs> it's impossible to keep up with it it's funny too you know obviously we get to make a lot of industry friends over a, a long career um, and it's an unwritten rule when we get together that we don't ask if uh, anyone's seen our recent work because it's like you can't you can't have seen everybody's book you know it's like I love your stuff the last thing I read was 10 years ago but I like you a lot and (laughs) I know whatever you're doing is great you know what it it is very similar in the small press right it'd be seen (laughs) it's impossible you know and obviously I try to amend that whenever there's something that's you know that catches my eye, I, I will try and, and, and try to stay up to in, in touch with it all, but it, it's just impossible. It's impossible. For yourself, um, tell me about the switch of working on the Wonder Woman run with Greg Rooka, because it sounds like mm-hmm. that was kind of a, a another switch for you and kind of where, where things... I guess you said Gears of War was, was that point, and... That was before Wonder Woman? Gears of War was 2008. It was actually the biggest selling comic of that year. It did 400,000 copies and hardly anyone knows yet. It was uh, it was huge. I mean, Obviously a lot of that was that the outlets for it were, uh, yeah. were through like GameStop and things like that. So it had this r- bigger audience and 
Gears of War was a massive game. A lot of the people that read the comic were um, gamers. Yeah. And and game comics tend not to really get picked up by the the comic fandom and comic yeah. press particularly. But I'm not a gamer, so I drew it uh, as a kind of dystopian, almost uh, rogue trooper type sci-fi. In a because I was like, I really wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. And Chris said, well, just have a look at Chris Dean and my wife. She said, just have a look at it. And I got the stuff and I was sort of saying, yeah, it's all guns and tanks. And I hate drawing guns and tanks. And she said, yeah, but look at it. It looks like you designed it. <laughs> she said, just imagine it's Conan with a gun. And I went, okay, I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> And, you know, at that point, I just thought, okay, maybe that's exactly what I'll do. I'll put loads of detail in, and I'll put, you know, I'll draw vines on everything, and I'll treat it as if I'm drawing, you know, a Barry Smith-type Conan yeah. adventure. Um, and and I, I'm actually really proud of that work. It, it stands up, I think. Um, but, yeah, so that was 2008. At, right after that I is when Made Fire got set up, and I moved to America... Uh, and um, co-founded that and was this um, chief creative officer there for a while so I was overseeing content and running content and running all the we had a team of 45 at one point like yeah. all over we uh, thing I'm really proud of about Madefire is when we were doing um, a, a large rollout of of, uh, of what we were calling motion books um, just really animated comics but they had sound but you had to read them uh, and we were so just completely exploring the medium and trying to see what you could do and, and I was involved in that too I was building my own comic and making music for it that, that was the Captain Stone stuff um, and you know trying to figure out different ways to tell stories digitally it was uh, it was a really sort of fascinating um, time to, to, to do all of that um, and, and we the thing I was proud of was that we we managed with our little California team to, and we tried it too because we got we had so much. We tried India and we tried China, and we could draw, we could build them faster and cheaper in California than they could in China or India, and that is like that's really saying something. Nobody does that, uh, so we we really had it down to a, a fine art. But it was a, it was it's, it's work intensive, but it was I'm I'm very proud of the work we did there. But there was a point. Um, Eventually, where I was just becoming more and more of a manager, I'm not built to be a manager. I'm not yeah. trained to be a manager, and I was missing drawing. I wasn't creating anymore, and it just was like becoming like a backlog. And I was getting sort of quite stressed and depressed by the fact that it was, you know, I wasn't working anymore. Um, so there was a point at which it's like, you know, I think my job here is done. Uh, the child is out in the world. I wish it luck, and. Uh, and I need to, to return to comics. And that's um, when a good friend of mine, Steve Morgan, who, who um, art, buys art, and he's always got a table at San Diego and he reps uh, other artists. Um, and he, uh, he lives in, uh, in uh, Lafayette in the Bay Area too, so when I moved over I stayed with him. It was very, very fortunate. But he just said, well, just you should just send Jim Lee some of your stuff. Draw, start drawing, you know, just start drawing Batman. Start drawing 
you know, do some Hulk stuff, do do some superhero stuff. You haven't done any of that for yeah. ages. Just do some, you know, start putting it online. Take a bit of time out and do that. And so I did. That's exactly what I did. And I started firing this off to to Jim, and he was always great at getting back to me and saying, oh, "This is cool." Um, and then I heard that um, one of the top artists at, at Marvel had turned down an opportunity to do Wonder Woman. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't immediately think, well, yeah. I could do that. Um, but but it was interesting, and it was a, it was a Thanksgiving night, and I, I got back to, to our house, and on my desktop there's a, a Red Sonja piece, black and white piece, that I, I've called Mouldering Stones, that I often cycle out, occasionally will come back around on my Twitter feed or Facebook or whatever, because it, it's one of the pieces that I did along the way that is, I know I got right, you know. For a long time I, I sort of held it as the, probably the best piece I'd ever done. It had a had a Barry Smith type feel, but it also had a, there's still a bit of like 90s Jim Lee-ish feel to it. And I mean, all of those guys were inspired by Barry Smith anyway. So yeah. that's, it's a decorative um, approach to drawing that, that, that has, you know, elements of symbolism and elements of like, well, it's just decorative. Anyway, that was on my desktop and I looked at it and thought, ha, huh, you could do Wonder Woman like that. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I went to bed that night and I had this almighty dream. Like I never dreamed superhero dreams, but this one was a like full-on Wonder <laughs> Woman dream. And I woke up like, holy shit, you could do Wonder Woman like that. And I sent Jim immediately on, you know, as soon as I was out of bed and with a coffee, I, I sent Jim the picture of the, that Red Sonja piece and said, you could do it like this. And he got back and said, yeah, you could. <laughs> Have you done Wonder Woman before? No, I haven't. It's all right. But I'm going to. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to spend the next two days just drawing Wonder Woman to see how it looks. And I did uh, like a triptych that ended up in the Love Is Love book. Laverne Kindiuski uh, uh, coloured it and that one. But I just did a black and white piece in which I sort of loaded it with Diana symbolism. I was looking at the goddess Diana, so there's the, the hunting aspect and the deer and the, the wild boar and all of these other, mm -hmm. and the moon is in there, and all these very mythological aspects, you know, sim symbolic aspects. And I sent that to Jim, and he, he loved it. He said, right, that's it, oh, I'm gonna, I, you know, I think I need to make this happen. I, so he went to bat for me, but I didn't hear anything for, for weeks on it, and I'd keep sort of, I'd get in touch, and I'd say, so, I guess it's not happening. He said, oh, we're just going in a meeting now, I'll be in touch, I'll be in touch, and then I wouldn't hear anything for weeks again, and. And the weird thing then was that I got offered that Christmas. I don't know why I had a. It's the like, first time in ages that I'd, I I completely didn't feel stressed. Like being doing a startup and being a CCO and being yeah. a co-founder is a stressful thing. Doing technology is stressful. Executive life is stressful. So, and uh, so I'd had several years of like permanent stress especially over those periods because coming into the new year was always like, like and this first year was like, it's going to be right. I've got feelings, it's going to be all right. Something's, yeah. something's going to happen. And I, and, I, and I got offered for the first time finally after 30 years the book I most wanted, Conan. And it's like, fantastic, I'm going to do Conan. Brilliant, I'm doing that. So I sent Jim a text because I thought it's only fair, I've got to let him know. On the first of January, uh, sixth of January, first day back, 
at, at DC at work. And I said, uh, I've been offered my dream job. You know, I guess Wonder Woman's not happening. I've been offered my dream job, Conan. And he went, no! <laughs> we want you to do Wonder Woman. And I was like, really? He said, yeah, yeah, we, we, we need you to do, you've got to do Wonder Woman. And uh, I thought about it for about a minute. Yeah. And it's like, I thought, you know, you can go from Wonder Woman to Conan, I think, but you can't go from Conan to Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's like one of those massive icons. And yeah. The, the, the jump is a big jump mentally. Um, and then I was thinking with Conan, what is all the stuff I love about that anyway? And then I was thinking, well, it's just the environment and mythology kind of vibe of it. Yeah. You know? I can do all of that in yeah. Wonder Woman. So maybe it will be just as much fun anyway, you know. So I was the first one brought on for that team for Rebirth. Oh, okay. Um, ahead of Rucker. Ahead really? Of, oh, okay. Ahead of the, ho of the whole team. I, I, we, there was a couple of other writers um, vying for it prior to that, and I had meetings with various people before we, we ended up with oh, Greg. Um, and Greg was was perfect, really. You know, it was he had unfinished business with the character. Um, when I went back and read his uh, stories, I, I just saw that, that, that I realized then that this was everything about the character I hadn't fully grasped yeah. previously. She always seemed a bit of a cipher and a bit of a two-dimensional character to me in lots of ways. But I, with Greg, it's like suddenly she was a three-dimensional character and a person and somebody really important and important particularly right now. You know, it was, it was a the, the the perfect moment for for her to be here. He's such a like a solid writer. Right. Like it's gonna be good. You can know he did the work. Right. Like he's not phoning it in. No. No. He, and um, he's very inclusive too. So you know we would talk about it pretty much every issue. And if he had a, if he was stuck on something, he would be very inclusive and, and phone me up and say, oh, you know, I'm not quite sure how to how to do this. And 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 so I was quite happy and to be able to contribute uh, reasonably, you know, consistently mm -hmm. to, to things that would appear uh, that had to obviously gone through a, a thought process and come out the other end, but I knew that the origin had come from a conversation we'd had. So it was a very, it was collaborative like that, it was great. Uh, when they start, when they said they were going to do the, 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 um, issue every two weeks thing that was that was that was interesting too Greg's solution was fantastic it was frustrating because I really wanted to do year one <laughs> who wouldn't you know it's like it's like doing Batman year one come on I, like Wonder Woman year one of course I wanted to do year one but when I looked at what the stories were and Mick's art and my art it's just a no-brainer it, yeah. it was always it was just it would not have worked if, if you'd switched us around, you know, it just wouldn't have worked as well. Because she brings so much light and joy and innocence and, and her and Romulo Fajardo Jr., the colouring that he did on that was just beautiful. Um, so I think, and, and then me and <laughs> Laura were doing this really kind of much darker, 10 years on kind of uh, more intense stuff. So that was great. Um, and then leading up to where you started off with yeah. this again was the whole thing about then what happened was that you know, Greg did in a year uh, 24, 25 issues yeah. plus the uh, annuals a lot. a lot, a lot, an awful lot of work um, you know it's to turn in those scripts every two weeks 
that's intense, especially when you've got other books that you care about. And, you know, he obviously he's he had the magic stuff that he was doing with Nicola, black magic stuff, which is also great. And they said that had had been on a hiatus. He was worried about Stumptown and a lot of these other things that are very the personal. The election to took a right bit of a toll on him. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, not as yeah. much as anything, because he was kind of hounded off Twitter. Well, not directly hounded off, but he just got so sick of like just the it's a the bipartisan, you know, the the anger and the vitriol and the hate and the you know the attacks. It, it's it, it can take its toll, and if you can avoid it, then avoid it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of it's so fucked in a way of like. It's so focused in this particular place, and when you're not engaging with that anymore, people can't engage with you on it. Right. Yeah, and it's yeah. like someone else becomes the, the focus and stuff. It's sad and horrible. It is, I agree. I agree. And it's a shame, too, because I actually used to like to talk about... Um, you know, I used to like the discussions when they were discussions. Yeah. Because um, I've got fans on... On both sides of the, you know, of the the divide, let's call it, because it is a divide. Um, and in the past, it was like it doesn't matter. We're all united by the work, but we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, it get heated, but almost always, I could just go, guys, come on, we need to be civil, and and it would all calm down. Like, yeah, you're right. Oh, sorry, and we'd all talk, and, be, and you'd learn stuff, and it would actually be, uh, it would be a good forum for. Uh, informed discussion um, but even then it was becoming clear and more and more clear that there was no changing minds on either side people it's, weren't really listening but it's also a lot of this isn't as new as people are thinking like I remember when the no. first Jack Kirby stuff was popping up not the first but like 10-15 years ago when the Kirby estate was like really actively looking for the reparations folks were like they're going to ruin our childhood they're gonna destroy our characters because they want to want this stuff, and it's like, no, the family wants what they deserve for compensation for a multi-billion-dollar property empire that they're seeing nothing of. Like, yeah, it's two different things. two different things. Yeah, I, I I could never get involved in all of those things. That, that was always outside of my experience, thank God. But um, yeah, so so Greg basically was was burned on it you know he was really proud of what he'd done yeah really proud of what he'd written it was a hard decision for him um but things were looking things things were taken off for him in other areas and he, they needed his care and he didn't want to let other people down and he did what he wanted to do he came yeah. back and he did a great job and he relaunched a character that was very close to him and he and he got to um mend a few things and to you know to 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 finish some unfinished business, so it was a, it was beautiful that that happened, you know. And now there's a, a block of Greg Rucker Wonder Woman work that 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 is you know for all time. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's, a classic, it's now a classic run, you know. It's a and classic. It'll stay in print in DC forever, right? Um, Which is great for you guys. It's. Uh, yeah. I think I I just like to acknowledge it because I think it's really important that folks realize that like that is a big thing. The royalties and things like these help. Artists oh God! In perpetuity. Well, we've seen that already with um, uh, brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and and it's an embarrassing brain fart because what we're talking about is is Perez, George Perez. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we've seen that with you know with his uh, medical situation, which he's been, which he's talked about um, online, and the fact that he's fading, you know, trouble with his eyesight and stuff. But he's also been able to say, thankfully, I am okay because yeah. the royalties are going to look after me. Yeah, and they'll take care of me. That Teen Titans show. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know that I'm anywhere near <laughs> that kind of level of things, but but it is more importantly than royalties. It's nice to know that you've done a piece of work that has long legs and yeah. will you know that goes down in in history as as, as one of the sort of seminal pieces of uh, of a character's you know run. Um, when uh, you're working on something like that, do you? you look to the past like it sounds like you kind of see this work like existing with these different arts you know with the Perez Wonder Woman stuff and the John right. Thompson Wonder Woman stuff and you got the the John Byrne Wonder Woman stuff um but I mean these are all part of, of the, this legacy it's like that kind of partially feed what you're doing with your work or is that kind of something that you can get lost in you can get lost in it I try, I try not to really like you for for me, I, di I didn't know much about her. I, she, I was never, you know, I'm ashamed to say that I wasn't that drawn to her before I started drawing her and, yeah. and fell in love with her. Um, I read and loved the Azarello run. I know that uh, was controversial for some people. I get it. I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. I, people were saying, "Well, she was hardly in it," but I don't mind that stuff. It's like she's in a a great expanded world and and. If she's at the centre of it, I mean, it's a funny thing. It's like some people said of my Brave and the Bold stuff, and, okay, let me step back a little bit. The reason I, the Brave and Bold thing came around was because Greg came out of it, and I wasn't ready to finish drawing Wonder Woman. But I didn't want to carry on drawing her for a different writer. Yeah. The reason being that I'd fallen in love with our Wonder Woman, and that meant that I'd fallen in love with the one, the voice and the character as Greg had written her. Um, and because I'd drawn her and spent so much time with her, I felt like I knew her that way. I knew her voice, I knew her mannerisms, I knew the character as, as, as we had created her together. So I felt like I could do a pretty good job of, of carrying on uh, you know, the character in a way that was seamless. Yeah. I hoped it would be seamless. And, and to me, the very first issue of The Brave and Bold is just right off the back of my last issue of Wonder Woman. It, yeah, it's, I, it's part of the same run. I saw the the linkage there. Right, it <laughs> just just felt like a complete natural yeah. flow into it. Um, so uh, you know, I I almost wish they would like create in the in the you know a little rather than being brave in the bowl that, that they would just open a little gap between the issues and put it in there and, uh, because it does feel like it, it belongs in, in it. Um, but one of the criticisms I saw of the Brave and the Bold was, you know, and I don't get it. I really don't get it. They said, well, it's not about Wonder Woman and Batman. It's about everything else. And I said, hang on a second. Batman is being a detective all the way through it. But he's there. He's solving a crime. He can't really fight anyone. They're all giants and magical. He got, he's just a guy, you know. He figured out the stone. He figured out the stone and he's got the, you know, he, he, tr he tries out, thankfully, the, the sleeping. <laughs> I love that. Because it's such a cheesy old thing, you know. Here's the sleeping gas. Yeah. You know? It's like <laughs> the best thing. 
Um, but is it going to work on? Uh, is it going to work on these creatures? Well, thankfully, yes, it does. But it's still, you know, he still can't really do much. Yeah. He's there for a reason. That's to be a detective. Um, and and he's got to be a really bloody good detective because he's in an entirely alien environment. So it's like, what tools can he use? Yeah. Um, what is he looking for? How does it, he's got to understand? Them. Everything is different. All the rules are different. So that was, you know, that was fun. Just even that. And she's there because she's the only. She's she's an, she's able to stand outside of of the situation and look at it coldly and and bring you know bring the collective calm to mm -hmm. it. Also, she's from Themyscira, which has suffered from the same problem as being eternal. Yeah, you know, and being trapped on this place, and and I thought, well, wouldn't you go mad on Themyscira? Which is where I came up with this idea that actually Themyscira is magical in a different way. There's not really the sort of boundaries that you might expect. There's always stuff to yeah. discover there, and new yeah. aspects and shapes to it. It's like a kind of tardisy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which is a nice idea, and I wouldn't mind exploring that at some point, but. Uh, that's just a kind of throwaway thing, isn't it? In the brave <laughs> of the ball, but but to say that it's not about them and it's about everybody else is to miss the point of those characters. You know, yeah. I don't know what what you do, I don't know what people want if they're going to put that. It, it, there there are times you just kind of go. I, there's no point even going there. Like some people, the the <laughs> my my wife and my daughter are, are very feminist. I consider myself a feminist. I, you know, I might not have been when I was younger, and I've had to learn to be what that means and what and how it uh, plays out in the bigger picture. It's not that I wasn't; it's just that I had a male understanding of what it was, um, and so we should grow. You know, we should unpacking grow. toxic masculinity. Is right, never-ending process. Right. Okay. Exactly that. Um, and it, uh, you know, it, it, you can learn a lot about yourself if you're prepared to do it and you mm -hmm. dig deep, um, and and if you're prepared to kind of look hard at, you know, your past views and past representations and past ideas. Um, you know, it's like for instance, I always thought that I was giving my female and male characters an equal kind of badass space, but a man's idea. Or a heterosexual male's idea, in particular, of what is sexy within women and what is sexy within men, uh, ends up kind of yeah in a very different space, you know. And you think that by drawing the guys all muscular and macho Batman and everything, the UFC fighter. <laughs> but, but but well, it's like, but but you think that that's that that's sexy, but you don't know what's sexy because yeah. you're just guessing from from what. You know, it's not. It's very hard to try and second guess what's sexy. It's not really something that comes natural to you as a as a heterosexual man. You know, and so I think um, there's a lot to learn and a, uh, and a lot to be uh, to try and unpack, as you say. Anyway, the the uh, one of the things that I saw was like people getting saying that the first issue was sexist because of the scene with Steve and Diana when. She sort of negotiates an hour, and he yeah. hasn't picked up on it, and then she sort of disrobes in front of him. And I think the idea is that people think that, oh, she was parading for him, and it's like, no, she got the hour for her. Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> what, 
Why are you assuming it's, it's all for him? She's just doing it for him. No, she did it for herself. Yeah, that was her hour. Him. It's her hour, yeah. It's like, and he's being a dumbass. He's not even picked up on it. You know, he's there stuck in bed. Doesn't want to get out because he's got nothing on. He's got stuck. He's been told to put his gun away. He's completely like everything's gone. He thought he'd got it sorted. Very emasculated. He's like the whole thing. Every, he's totally emasculated, and he, the love of his life, who he thought he got to himself for a little window, is about to whiz off. You know, and actually, she's done it for her <laughs> as well as for him. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not a little that. respite before going back right. into battle. But it, but it's also about two people in love. And two people's, uh, you know, need for each other and yeah. attraction to each other and all of those things. It's not, uh, it's not just a disrobing for the pleasure of men kind of thing, you know. Um, I thought that was obvious. I talked to my wife about it. She said, don't even go there. Don't even go there. And I, and I was concerned about it enough early on. To, you start to second guess yeah. everything that I, that I was even like editorially it went all around and all editorial like this, don't even worry about it we've got you back it's so fine Yeah. you even worrying about it is ridiculous you know but you know as soon as it goes out of course <laughs> the comments come the comments come regardless so you just have to it's like the tweet I got once where someone just this girl just said dude stop drawing women <laughs> what <laughs> I've been drawing men for most of my and career, that's you know. Why Twitter doesn't matter, <laughs> no. and and that's the thing is like, you you should treat it like you're walking down the street and someone just yelled to you, "Stop drawing women." What would you What would you say to that person? You'd be like, <laughs> "I'm just gonna keep walking." Yeah, just, this doesn't matter. It's, yeah, it's it's so beyond. It's like by the same token, it's like saying women should never draw men. Really, you want that? Uh, or, or a straight man should never draw a, a gay man, or a, or a lesbian, or or a, a, a white guy should never draw a black character. Like, of course, there's. It's great if you can get people who represent all of these sets to yeah. be involved, but you should you should always be like you have to be careful around those kinds of things, because then, what are you going to do? Completely populate every story with only heterosexual men, if you're a heterosexual man. Yeah. It's like I said, half the time it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it it's so fascinating to me and horrible, just like how, and and we've all had it where like someone's particular thing, you're like, this is a crazy person, but it's sticking in my head, and it's yeah. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, too. You know, yeah. I am. I think that there's a reason why all of these things come up. You know? yeah. There's a reason why they need looking at. There's their own pushback from what they've been kind yeah, of shuffled and, into. and a lot, a lot, a lot of these uh, subsections, uh, these you know, these people have not been represented fairly. Yeah. Um, but you can't. I, I, I definitely see myself as being on the side of like, you know, what Diana represents. I'm for. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Don't attack me. I'm trying to do the best I can, but also I. I don't forget, I work for hire as well, you know, this is my job. I have kids and I have fees and I have uh, yeah, mortgages to pay and all of that kind of stuff. We, we, and I want to, one thing I'm really interested with, um, with the Wonder Woman stuff, and I've kind of seen this, and you mm -hmm. talked a little bit before, like, symbolism stuff, 
is especially like Celtic art and traditions, mm-hmm. and that been something that you've been really into over time. Oh no, I loved it. Yeah, I, I, I when I was at college, which was the public school I was at, Eastbourne College. They called it a college, but it was up yeah. to eighteen. Um, I say public school over here. It's private school. For some reason, we call it a public school in England. It's a posh school for wealthy people. That I was at, I got a scholarship to. Um, I was lucky enough to do uh, to study classical civilizations. That was one of the okay. topics we could do. So I did that from I was thirteen to eighteen, um, and it was always the Romans, and it was always the Greeks. Yeah, you know, we barely touched even on Egyptian. Uh, it was primarily Romans and Roman and Greeks, the Aeneid, the Iliad, you know, all of that stuff, which I loved. You know, it was uh, it was amazing. But it's the same story twice. Right, it's all <laughs> the same story twice. But I mean, we're looking at the history, so we're yeah. looking at the, oh, yeah. the history of Peloponnese, Thucydides, and you know, all of the, all of these things, Socrates, Plato, everything. Um, but there was a point of where I thought, hang on, what about? Um, British mythology and Celtic mm-hmm. mythology. Why, why are we doing that? Nobody seems to know anything about that, and not in the same level. You know, yeah. I didn't know anybody who did. Um, King Arthur had become this kind of uh, romanticized Disney version of of it, and I didn't know what the roots of that were. Um, and he was Welsh, right? <laughs> so I never read the Mabin, or possibly French, or possibly Roman. You know. Uh, but when you start looking into that, that just becomes incredibly interesting. Yeah. And I discovered um, in my pursuits uh, a few books. There was a book called The Quest for Merlin by Nikolai, uh, Nikolai Tolstoy, who was the grandson of oh, Tolstoy. Okay. Um, and it was a, an attempt to try and figure out what those origins were by looking back at uh, you know, fifth century English history and stuff, um, so he went to back to Geoffrey Monmouth and all, all sorts of stuff. And uh, there was <coughs> the Battle of Ardrith up in Scotland. He was identifying sites and all of this kind of. I ended up going on a bit of a road tour with a friend of mine to 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 try and find these sites at one point. And then I also discovered this amazing book. Um, called The Silver Arm by Jim Fitzpatrick. Um, Jim Fitzpatrick's mainly famous for doing this Che Guevara picture that was on every student's wall, you know, in the 70s. Um, But he also did the Thin Lizzy album covers and uh, and he's done these amazing illustrated books, uh, The Silver Arm and The Book of Conquest, and they're all Irish mythology. Um, In the Nikolai Tolstoy book, he, he talked a lot about Canunas and that was really where I, that interest in that character um, was formulated. And then uh, the rest of the Brave and the Bold story was really extrapolated out of uh, The Silver Arm okay. um, by Jim Fitzpatrick, um, with a little bit of uh, broader research around the edges of it. So there's a touch, there's a bit of Finn McCall in there. So I, I, I kind of collapsed one of the kings uh, from two different kings so that it was Finn McCall rather than the the, the other uh, Dedanon king that was normally in that role. It seemed like you could you could put the two together. Um, 
So the version in Brave and the Bold is definitely the Finn McCool one, hence the 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 the, uh, the Giants Causeway references. Um, so yeah, uh, all of that stuff was like passion. Sort of. <laughs> There's a neat kind of a cyclical nature to it, where it's like this is like your work, but you're like taking things from when you're really young, right? And kind of revisiting it. But oh like, yeah, being that this is the work that you wrote Andrew, like it holds a kind of a different importance I see in a way, like as far as like that. I'd always wanted to do some, well, I'd always wanted to do something with uh, the Irish mythology and I'd also really wanted to do something with Canunus, so I'd Canunus doesn't fit into that mythology but it's period, period wise it's the same, he was a good fit to be like you know, there yeah. as a kind of caretaker, he's so forgotten there are no m stories around Canunus, so it, 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 he's he's a great kind of um, character to take and to track to, to put into a story, um, and in a way, I'm glad it took so long because uh, to be able to do it with you know, Batman and Wonder Woman featuring in that world meant that it got more exposure than it perhaps ever would have done if it yeah. had just been like a you know an independent publication. Um, so you know, I'm hoping it's introduced a lot of people to to Irish mythology that otherwise hasn't come across it or, mm -hmm. or thought to look into it, and um, and Celtic mythology in general, you know. Um, and it's tough too because it's like there was a whole discussion about editorially. It's like, can we work with these names? Does it does it have to be Canunis? As like, and there was a point we made him Co Connell. And then it's like, no, it's got to be Canunus. Yeah. <laughs> Connell being like an Irish, almost variant on possibly the same character, but not. Um, so, so yeah, no, I said, no, I, th we, I think we've got to stick with it. Uh, We've put somewhere in the trade how to say it. Because <laughs> people struggle with the pronunciation. You know? Oh, yeah, I, I'm not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> No, so I'm I'm so glad to to have got that one out, and and also my wife, uh, her dad, uh, uh, a, was a Limer Limerick man. Oh. Sadly, he died last year, but he he and I always used to talk about the Irish myths and talk about all of this stuff, and he was, he really wants me to do uh, the Torn, which is the Cucullan story. Uh, he really says, hey, you got to do the Cucullan story. You got to do it," and, but. At least I did this one, and just before he died, you know, he, I, he saw the story in the scripts, and he was very pleased I was finally doing it. So nice. that was great. Again, nice little bit of closure. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. And then your latest thing, I realized we're we're running short on time. Cause yeah, we, we got about five minutes. I get suppose. down to the venue, so we should mention Green Lantern. <laughs> I, my, that my, little my, thing. My main thing I want to ask. Was he writing some of the characters as Geordies, some of the aliens? <laughs> in the first issue, the yeah, two, I was yeah. Like, this My is like rock, watching yeah. like the the Geordie short. I watched terrible British reality shows. <laughs> I'm just gonna get that out there now. And it was like this is a, a an alien race of Geordies. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I think definitely You're Scottish. Avoid he loves. Well, Grant's got a great ear for dialect. You know, he loves. Um, he, he he loves that kind of material. There's a book, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Um, it's, it's a terrific 
book. Uh, damn it, it's escaping me. Strando something. Anyway, it's uh, but it, the, the 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 crux of what I'm trying to say is that it, it's all set in a Cheshire dialect, a very r deep Cheshire dialect from a hundred years ago, um, and he's got a great ear for it. And, he, and that's what a great books. Uh, well, it's no, it's not. It's a okay. book he recommended to me. Uh, it, okay. I I wrote a book called Par Paradise Rex Press, which is um, a prose book, um, which I gave him a copy of, and he absolutely loved it. And uh, he compared it favorably with this book, whose name is escaping me. It's annoying, but anyway, the idea of my book was it was I was trying to capture um, a dying vernacular of, of the Midlands, you know, yeah. the, the, the language of my grandparents, and it ended up something else entirely, but but um, it's a very sort of personal piece of work. It's actually really about that whole thing of going from working class into like a intellectually rarefied sort of environment, yeah. and, the, and, the, and the difference between the, the two places, and the the duality of it and how, how hard it is and how odd it is to have a foot in both camps and try and make sense of all of that. And the whole book is really, it's, a, it's pretty much a self-portrait. It's a lot of true stories in there, but there's an awful, awful lot of complete fabrication and throwing ideas around. But yeah, working with Grant's been a joy because he's just, his brain is so fast. His intelligence is, is huge. Um, his trust is great if you if you you know if you step up to the plate. Yeah. He he gives me so much leeway. It, it's it's just brilliant working with him. I'm loving it and and he and he gives me so much fun every issue, diff something new and something fresh to draw, something I haven't done before. It's just you know it's exciting um, and it's hard work, but it, we're we're both we're both adoring it, and, and and he, you know, he said it's the the best fun he's had in a in a mainstream nice. comic, um, which is which is saying a hell of a lot, you know. <laughs> and I, I was terrified going onto it because I adore what he does with Frank Quietly. I'm yeah. a big fan of the, those two working together. It's magical to me. That uh, Scottish connection. Oh, I don't. Whatever it is, it's hand in glove, and it's like you know. I, I had to just stop looking at Fra Frank stuff and Vincent stuff because I didn't want to be influenced by it. And yeah. It'd be so easy to to suddenly find yourself trying to be a second rate, you know, Frank Wiley. And going right back to what we were saying at the beginning, it's it's having faith in your yourself and believing yeah. that you can pull it off. And I just did it the best I could and just worked damn hard, and, and I continue to do so. Well, I enjoyed what I've read so far. Thank and you I look very forward much. Forward to more interesting accents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again, folks, I've been talking to Liam Sharp, and you can find him on the racks with Green Lantern and the Brave and the Bold Batman Wonder Woman and the Run with Greg Rucka on Wonder Woman and a whole whack of other stuff. Thank you, Liam. Cheers. Truth is, I thought it mattered. I thought that music mattered. But does it bollocks? Not compared to how people matter. <laughs> <laughs>